Hello, and welcome to Michelle the Cast, the audio companion to MichelleTheBlog.com, and I'm your host, Michelle, obviously. Today's episode starts a series on feminism, the feminist movement, and drag performity, specifically looking at feminists within the drag community and how they view their feminism their drag within a feminist lens and overall how they see the drag community as a feminist. Today's episode features Courtney Conkers, one half of Drag Coven, the media group who photograph, video, and bring to light the drag community across the globe. So stay tuned and enjoy the sponsored post in between. I'll see you on the other side. Hello. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Oh my goodness, it's working. I was like, oh, what am I doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? (laughs) Awesome. I'm glad that you were able to get it all situated. I was like, uh... I don't know. I should have called like five or I should have texted it like five minutes earlier so you could download it and everything. So like, don't uh, worry. Now it's really cool looking and people people always tell us that Drag Coven needs a podcast of like when we're on a long road trip and we have nothing else to do. Just start talking to each other. Yeah. And like we've never done that before. We're always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like someday there'll be a podcast like maybe someday. Now I'm looking at the vat being like, this seems easy. I can maybe handle this. Right. Um. So I'm going to start out with so what's your name and uh, what's your background? Um, in drag, you mean? Yes. In drag, um, yeah. my, name is, my name's Courtney Conkers. And my background is that I, uh, I am a, an AFAB drag artist. I am a cisgendered female drag artist who does female presenting drag. Um, and I'm probably most widely known for being half of the drag media group, The Drag Coven. So we've been doing drag of our own but also documenting drag all over uh the world actually um for the last four and a half or so years now um and I got into drag in a really roundabout way I came through it kind of through my love for Lady Gaga and cosplaying and traveling her with my friends and going to all her different tours and then I I did a a feminist master's degree that talked all about gender performativity and that tied in a lot with drag. And we just kept meeting drag queens and drag kings and drag performers through the Gaga shows because, you know, she's the the queen of the gays who love costumes. Um, (laughs) And and they all kept going, God, I can't believe you don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was a student and I didn't have time. And I finally sat down and watched it. And Jamie and I... uh, got really in love with it and um that was around the time Gaga stopped touring so that was how we kind of started traveling for drag shows and the more we watched the more we thought everybody needs to see this I want to do this and I love this and the girls uh that we were filming were really really encouraging um so it started actually as a joke as a wordplay Bianca Del Rio once made a joke oh my my favorite drag hags are here and Hags are witches, witches travel in a coven. So I was like, yeah, we're the drag coven. And Alaska was like, holy shit. That's exactly what you are. Uh, so it started as a joke. And and, and uh, then she was like, oh, well, you guys are the only people I know that take, like, pictures and videos not on, like, a potato cell phone. Like, I think this is our, our, our like, second show ever together. Um, 
she was like, I want these pictures. Where do you post them? And we were like, I don't know, our Facebook's like for my mom to see. Like, and she was like, no, I want them. Like, post them somewhere. So I, as a joke, made an Instagram and followed her. And she was our first follower. She followed it back. And so it kind of just started as a joke and snowballed from there and like hasn't stopped yet. So that's my background in drag. <laughs> um, so you said that you did a master's thesis in femi- um, feminist perform- performing, correct? Um, I actually, performing? So it, was a, it was a master's of women's and gender studies. And I studied um, the way that Lady Gaga specifically used theories of gender performativity to basically enact in her music videos different representations of gender and how it's a performative social construct and then furthering from that I looked at um, ways in which she used things like social media to turn her fans from passive consumers of a message that she was feeding them into active um, producers of like activist content by the way that they cosplay and recreate the uh, alternative gender performances that she does in her music videos oh wow yeah that's great. I'm sure that defense was insane. Just trying to explain um, it. It was all. interesting. Um, I actually was the first person to graduate from the program because it was a brand new program. Oh, okay. Um, and there'd been, you know, it was, there were eight of us and I think only like six and a half of us were going to finish on time. And the, when it came down to it, it was me and one other girl and her project was this really heavy, like she'd traveled to Nigeria and done groundwork research. And it was this really heavy, like racial theory and racial politics thing. And it was going to be one of us two that finished first. And she kind of was like being pushed by the department to be the first one because it was such a prodigious, prestigious, like important sounding project, but she was very much not ready. And she was very like, I'm almost done, but I'm not there yet. And I don't know why they're pushing me. Whereas for me, I was like, I've been done for six weeks and I'm just sitting here and everyone's ignoring me because I wrote about costumes and pop music. Um, when it came down to it, I, I finished first and she was like, yeah, no, fuck it up. You finished first, like go. So I, I did end up defending first despite some shady dealings in the department trying to like make me this. They were like, yeah, no offense, but for our first one, we want something serious. And I was like, that's nice. I don't care. Um, and I defended first and just to like really because of everything that had gone on and consistent with a theme that was like kind of throughout my degree to really just like piss them off. I went in full male drag um, and I showed up and like the dean of the university was there and there was like all these there was like all the you you defend in front of a team of people anyways. But then there were all these extra people because I was the first. Mm-hmm. So I walked in with like a beard. And, like, my titties bound down and, like, all this stuff. And I did my full performance in drag. Uh, and I had decided that in addition to the, the verbal defense that I was going to do, I had made sort of a – because the thesis was a lot about um, social networking and multimedia use and videos and homemade costumes versus homemade videos and how, like, the practical and online elements played together in order to let these people who um, – or maybe facing real world barriers to go out and do things like gender activism kind of transgress those by like crafting and using their cell phone cameras. So I had made like a multimedia video that was like the bulk of my presentation. And then I kind of summed it up as a man and like tied myself into the project. Uh, So yeah, so it was, it was an interesting defense. Everybody was like kind of silent when I was finished and I was like, I'm going to take a bow and go. And um, it actually ended up going really well. Oh, wow. So do you think that kind of pushback or that kind of energy that you had during your degree kind of pushed you whenever things happened to uh, 
you or drag coven whenever it came to drag performing or going to all these oh my gosh yes being told I can't do something is I think this is partially like the empowerment I get from drag but also partially that like I'm just a lifelong little shit so I anytime I'm told that I can't do anything I automatically want to do it and do it well um and I don't know why that is but it's it's kind of working out so far so I you know, I'm a pretty like motivated self-starter, but the second someone looks at me and goes, no, you're not good enough and you can't do that. I go, awesome. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get an A or I'm going to do it. and It's going to be on TV somewhere. Like it's always kind of been something motivating. So then when we got into drag and we got, it took a while for us to get hate that was like anything tangible besides like just, you know, bitter men who wanted to stand front row and were mad that we were there because we were quote unquote straight girls and and neither of us is straight but like anything tangible it it took like a a solid year and a half probably for us to get really like hated um and I've always kind of find that found that motivating because a lot of it I would say 90% of it is unfounded um and like not really based on fact so it it kind of makes me think okay, well, if I'm being talked about, I'm doing something right. And if there are rumors flying around, people are really analyzing it enough that like a game of telephone is happening and things are getting twisted. So I'm just going to go out here and keep doing what I'm doing now that all eyes are on me, but I'm going to prove them all wrong. So I'm going to be my regular nice self and like not be the crazy bitch that Reddit says I am, or I'm going to do, you know, that thing I'm going to, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be front row, but it's not because I like push my way in or because, I'm an entitled straight girl and I'm actually like an active supportive member of the queer community. And like, we don't really get a whole lot anymore usually. Um, But there was a while there where like, yeah, we faced a lot of backlash and it didn't really, it didn't really like the positives have always outweighed the negatives, which we're really lucky for, but it definitely like put a little spark in my eye and I'd be like, Oh, you think I'm super hateful? Awesome. And I'd be like, so incredibly nice and kind that I would start getting like, <laughs> like messages from people being like, Hey, I met you recently. And like, you were so nice, even though I'd read on Reddit that you were such an asshole. And I'm, I believed it. And now I feel really bad because you were so nice. And I'd be like, you're welcome, I guess. Like, yeah, it definitely was. It was, it was a motivator for me rather than like a tear me down. Oh my God, I can't do this anymore kind of thing. So one of my favorite I guess merch pieces that y'all have or you have <laughs> is uh, I'm just here to steal men's jobs, which <laughs> I don't know. How, how did that come about? Like, what was that in <laughs> reference to? Was it like a Reddit post that somebody was just like, Oh yeah. Or was it, was it on Twitter? It was probably Twitter, but it was not actually, it was like real life local scene drag drama that got really almost violent. Um, And so there are, the Toronto scene is largely, I mean, I sing its praises. It's my, it's not my original home and drag, but it's my current home and drag, even though I'm living in the suburbs now. Like I, uh, there are such good individuals in Toronto, but as a wider scene and as a system, it definitely faced like a period of really bad misogyny. Um, And it was kind of as we were coming up and I ended up causing a lot of problems because I guess previously there had been a couple, you know, AFAB female drag queens, hyper queens, uh, queens like myself who had come in and kind of tried to get into it. And there was, there was one or two other people besides myself and Jamie 
sort of like already working in the scene when we got there. Um, and there were not many of us. I'm going to say there were maybe, it was like me, Jamie and Dottie Dangerfield. And like, that was it. I think there was one other girl, but she had gotten caught up with school. And like, by the time I got there, she wasn't really doing it anymore. Um, and when we started doing things like trying to enter competitions, we were told, well, I don't really know what you are, what you do. And like, no, you can't. And we'd say, well, why? And they'd say, because you're a girl, because you have a vagina. Um, and I, you know, at first, none of us were really going to say anything. And then my kind of whole, if you tell me I can't do it, I, I want to do it, instinct kicked in. And I really pushed back and was like, that's misogyny. It's also trans misogyny. That's ridiculous. This is really exclusive. And I tried to get people to talk to me about it and no one was having it um, because it was just, it was just a, an era in the scene where there wasn't a lot of queer talent. There was just a lot of cis male drag queens doing a particular type of drag. Um, and most for the most part, they weren't horrible people. It was just like, this is what they'd been taught. And, and not a lot of other people had popped up and said something else with the exception of like the occasional female like very fun presenting trans woman um and they were like completely unfamiliar with it and then suddenly I was in the middle ranting and screaming about misogyny and scaring everybody so um that was a, a clash for a while there was a situation where uh one of the leaders in the drag community she's not so much that at the t- anymore but at the time um really got aggressive with me and and um there had been a point where I kept trying to talk to show producers and managers and be like, listen, like there's a, there's a vast portion of your audience that feels excluded. Like the way that you exclude AFAB people is also quite exclusionary to like trans women because you're telling them they're only welcome because of their genitals. And that's really trans misogynistic on top of being misogynistic. So now a lot of the Queens that you regularly work with and respect also feel disrespected and are, are on my side. And here's why it's a problem. And, and none of them would talk to me. None of them would deal with me. Um, so I took it to the internet because I was like, this is ridiculous and no one's doing anything. And a lot of the leading queens at the time, it's, it's a, especially back then, it was kind of like a hard scene. There was a lot of competition. It was a lot of drag queens and not a lot of gigs, not a lot of bars. Venues were closing. There weren't any open stages at the time. A lot of competition existed. And so a lot of the queens, although good people, would, would sort of come in my DMs and go, oh my God, I'm behind you. I'm with you. Like, you're totally right. And then publicly, they'd continue working at these bars or continue working at these events. So I wasn't getting a lot of outward support. And it was just me with, you know cis gay male audience members who didn't really understand what was going on in the scene itself because they were observers just going well who's this little fucking entitled again always assuming I was straight because you know queer women don't exist um just just who is she screaming and why is she so entitled and why does she want what we have and this is appropriation and fully just missing the point so I took it to the internet I explained the whole thing and this particular drag queen lost her entire ever loving mind went on a slanderous hateful campaign for days and days in capital letters status after status after status about how I was just a terrible person and an entitled bitch and all this stuff and um at first I was kind of looking for it so I just kind of didn't really weigh in and let her do I was like eventually she'll it'll be like a toddler having a temper tantrum she'll tire herself out and she didn't and it got really aggressive and it started getting violent and she started threatening me and people started bringing it to me being like, it's really getting out of control. <laughs> like you got to say something to calm it down. So I finally wrote like one response and we had some interaction and in it, she basically 
told me, you know, I'm going to get my men to like, you better watch your back at gigs. You don't deserve to be safe in this scene. Um, you know, I, we'd all be better off if like you killed yourself, but watch out that someone doesn't do it for you. And all this just threats on my life just, and I'm sure they were probably unfounded. It was, it was actually a repetitive like cycle of behavior that I wasn't the first person she'd done this to. And several of the drag queens who were also leaders in the community, like I had also experienced this. And I, I don't know why she still gets away with it. I don't know why she's still booked. I don't know why I'd ever, nobody's ever done anything about it. Um, with the exception of me and following my interaction with her, a couple other people, but like, it's just one of those things. Um, and it's kind of a, a problem that's more with like the older producers who were from like her beginning time and like, if, and like, there's not much we can do to make them stop booking her. So it's kind of an unfortunate catch 22. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, it got really crazy. And eventually so many people were against her and she actually did lose a couple bookings and she came to me and she apologized. And I was like, I'm like, <laughs> for the sake of my own, like easiness in the, in the drag scene, sure. I'll accept your apology, but also like, if you could stay away, with me, away from me, that'd be great. And if you can't, um, next time I'll get the police involved. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. There's, it's not necessary to do that. It's really not. It's really not. I think maybe a year later, almost to the day she did it again. And I can't, I don't even remember why. It was something that, like, I hadn't done, but, like, she'd, like, misread something. I don't know. Happened again. More threats. She did actually convince a few men to stalk me from gig to gig. I got stalked in the village. Um, but, again, I was very, like, I mean, I'm an academic. I'm a writer for a living. I'm a pretty calm person, even though I'm feisty. Like, I, it was the kind of thing where I didn't have to say much because, like, her behavior and the behavior of those who were kind of in cahoots with her um, spoke for itself. So I didn't really have to do anything. And that calmed down. And about six months later, something happened that was someone said something about how this queen who had harassed me shouldn't be booked because a friend of ours wanted to put on a, a, a gig and he wanted to book her, but he also wanted to book me. And before that news even got back to me, another girl jumped in and was like, why would you try to book Courtney with her, like her abuser? Why don't even send her that message? Why would you try to book her with that person? you can't do that especially as someone who like considers yourself her friend and the guy really didn't get it it was just a, a privilege and naivety thing like I don't even think he was trying to be malicious and he was like I don't get it I thought they squashed that and the, the friend was like okay but you're still asking her to like work with someone who's like openly harassed her to the point that I did actually end up like putting moves in with the police and like the the only reason she leaves me alone now is because like she knows that like I've got police files open so um she basically was like, don't, don't message Courtney, don't book her. And she didn't say don't book that drag queen. She said, don't message Courtney about this gig. I'm telling you, she doesn't want it. And like, it'll just be a fight. Don't even bother with it because she doesn't, she doesn't deserve the stress that comes with, do I take the gig, do I not, blah, blah, blah. So basically talked about a gig with me, which I didn't mind. The story that went around is that it was not another girl, but me. And that it had not been don't book Courtney. It had been don't book that other drag queen. Oh, my God. So this goes around behind my back for God knows how long, a couple weeks. Another queen who was friends with the original harassing queen, who, again, once again, had a history of bullying, harassment, like, violence, like, all this stuff. Like, I swear to God, the Toronto scene outside these two is really good. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, bad, bad seeds. Um, suddenly, out of nowhere, I think Jamie and I were, like, in... I know exactly where we were. We were in Ohio with Ginger Minj eating McDonald's in our car. Um, 
<laughs> and my phone goes off and I open it and I'm suddenly getting like hundreds of messages and texts and tags. And, and it was that this second queen who unfortunately her volatility was a lot more rooted in, um, rather severe struggles with mental health and like never having sought out the care or treatment or support that she needed. Um, so I was a little less inclined to like really get nasty with her. Um, whereas the previous queen, like she's just a bad person. So, um, I was surprised when this came up, but it was basically a huge thing in which she wrote that like I had waltzed I'd spent all year waltzing into bars local and elsewhere and demanding to speak to male show producers and making long-winded speeches about how like men in drag should not be hired because they don't deserve anything and how I don't think that they should have jobs and they don't deserve their gigs and only women should be hired and people kind of started hopping on this comment on the status which was public being like something tells me you don't have the right information. <laughs> like, I don't think that's what happened. Where are you getting this story? Like, you do know that Courtney works like internationally in drag. And if this was the habit that she was going around, like telling every bar she went to that male drag queen shouldn't be hired, like she probably wouldn't still be working in drag. Like, that's not a thing. And she was like, no, it's fact. I heard it. I saw it with my own eyes. So I hop in and I'm like, hey, um, would love to know where you heard this story, um, who the producer was, what bar you're talking about, which queens I've apparently blocked gigs from, and I'll fully own up to if, if I did it. But if not, I literally included like a log of all the drag club and shows we'd been to every gig that I had. Like I sent my calendar and was like, these are all the places I've been at and these are her producers every single show I've been at in the last six months. By all means, feel free to ask them because I'm telling you what you're saying is, is not true. It basically comes out that she had heard the story of the other girl confronting the show producer about trying to book me with my harasser and all the facts had gotten changed. And she thought that I had just said, no, that should be my gig and other drag queens shouldn't be booked because I want everything. So it was, it was not me, not what I said and not actually what happened. And instead of when we finally like caught her in it and people started going, girl, like you've got the complete backwards story. And oh, now that you say that, we actually know what you're talking about. Courtney wasn't even there. Courtney didn't even know until like months later. Um, she kind of uh, like just lost it in anger that like we'd hooped her in her story and started just screaming insults at me. And one of the things that made me laugh the hardest in like when she just kind of started spiraling out was that I was um, an evil she bitch from hell who was just here to take the jobs of men. And I lost it. I, I laughed so hard. I thought I was going to pee my pants. I, I didn't think a t-shirt that says evil she bitch from hell would sell quite as widely as I'm just here to take the jobs of men. Although it's like still definitely on the back burner. I, um, I screenshot it and sent it to everybody. Like I was like, that's it. That's what I do. And it, it was the part that kind of like, oh, there were people from the international drag scene because it was all public on a status. I'd been tagged a thousand times. Um, and it was because it was an extension of these other previous problems, which had also happened publicly and on Facebook. Everybody knew the history of this. And by everybody, I mean the producers of RuPaul's Drag Race, notable Ru girls, like girls from the Australian scene, like in UK, like everybody had seen this go down and now it was happening again, but with this hilarious incoherent rant about how I was just here to like take men's jobs at the end. So it kind of just took off from there. And I remember Raja getting underneath and going, I don't know who this is, but damn, you pissed them off. And I, if you don't make t-shirts out of this, like I'll personally fight you. So I, so immediately we're on drag queen merch. So Bible girl messaged me and was like, no, I'll, I'll like, I don't even care if I'll design it for you if you need me to like, and she didn't, someone else offered me art and I, I bought the, the little design off them, but 
uh, it was the t-shirt within probably two days. <laughs> so, so that is the long-winded story of how that merch came to be. Um, so how do you think feminism, you've already kind of delved into it, feminism has really been part of your drag persona? Oh, in a huge way. Um, so I, I do drag because it lets me sort of live out my femininity and communicate myself to the world in a way that's a lot more on my terms than what society typically tells you that a person like me, even as a cisgendered female, um, can be, can do, should want, should look like, all the kinds of things that society usually feeds to you. Through drag, I get to reclaim that and sort of play with it, twist it on its head, degender it, hypergender it, whatever I'm feeling that day. And then at the end, still say, but I'm still a woman. I'm still a female person. I'm still a femme individual. And I still am that no matter what I look like or what I'm doing or what I'm eating or <laughs> where I'm standing. Like, so that's why I do drag. But the basis of why that appealed to me so much uh, above me on the fact that drag also involves like musical theater and dancing and sparkles and makeup and all the things I loved as a kid. Like it's playing dress up for a living. Um, the basis of why that appealed to me so much and how I established that is why I do drag is all rooted in um, the feminism. I already, the, the feminism my mom taught me from like right from babyhood. Um, but then that I learned, you know, just through experiences growing up and then also through, I'm fortunate and privileged enough to have a feminist education as well. So those things kind of set a huge foundation for me already being like an intersectional queer feminist. And then on top of it, I found this art that was like the perfect tool through which I could tie myself into all of these theories that I was already living by and like really kind of valuing in society. And like as a person who wanted to queer the heteronormative basically like just queer the social norm and and didn't see myself reflected in any of the values that were like put on me as a kid and and like I mean I was raised in a pretty like liberal like awesome household but even still like there are certain social expectations put on women and girls that I was like I'm not into I don't want this like this isn't like what's gonna make me happy or who I am or whatever so uh, a, a unique combination of feminism and drag and particularly how ca I can manifest my feminism using drag as a tool for that is, like, that's inherent to, like, literally my everyday life. So, as you stated, you have a unique type of feminism because usually feminist, or at least second-wave feminist and some um, third-wave feminists find drag as sort of misogynistic in itself because mm -hmm. and um, sort of, I saw a title of an article that said woman face or girl face oh yeah. using girl face yeah I so how do you think with this new wave of feminism like and more not more but more femme presenting or femme queens or abfab queens going into drag is going to change that perspective I think it's a natural evolution um I think it is just the next step in applying the theories that the second and third wave feminism, tenets of feminism taught us. I mean, 
previous generations of feminism of feminists have always talked about how gender is a social construct. Mm-hmm. They might have done so in a binary way in that this is male, but you can also this or this is female and typically it doesn't that. Um, I think this is literally just like taking that and springboarding it. And that's where you're getting this kind of new, for lack of a better term, all nearly post-gender wave of feminism. And I do think it is still feminism because it is still rooted in the idea of I'm losing my voice sorry I'm actively working against like a cis male established heteronormative society um but I think I think things like drag and just access to the internet and dissemination of wider information and like way more prevalence of like queer theory and like again post-gender theories like I think it all it stems from like that was a nice starting point um but we're beyond that now and those things are almost it sounds harsh but for lack of a better term like the binary conceptions of even things like gender as a construct are have become a little too archaic for how far a lot of queer communities have begun thinking about gender and how it ascribes or does not ascribe to their life and their experience so when I come to something like drag even though like my formal education was rooted in a lot of again, the waves of feminism that you're talking about, which I still think have a lot of value and, like, again, fully formed my base knowledge. Um, I think it also lets me understand gender and the performance of gender in a, in a different way, I guess. Because if you can look at gender, binary gender, for example, and say, oh, it's completely constructed. And for, you know, to Sparks notes that it's nonsense that we made up then theoretically you can also say the binary is nonsense that we made up and, and you can, you can extrapolate from there. So when I look at drag, I do not see it as an appropriation of experience insofar as it is done well and not rooted in misogynistic portrayals of, of femininity period, regardless of who's doing it um, or whether it's intended as misogyny. So I definitely think that there are, performances or people out there who undoubtedly do root a lot of their performance of women and the feminine in a really outdated misogynist in misogynist way but I find them and that's this is partially like the privilege that I've had in traveling but I find them few and far between nowadays mm-hmm. um I find them even if I find that even if a performance is rooted in a stereotypical portrayal of femininity that one, however, that one not realizing what's happening might find, uh, say, misogynist or offensive, I find that 99% of the time, if I watch the entire performance and listen to the person speak after and I know a little more about their career, they actually perform that portrayal with a certain reverence that gives power to the character and almost twist it on his head and lets the audience see like this kind of person still has value so it's fucked up that we make fun of them for being this way and maybe we poke fun of them a little bit or tease because it's fun but we don't say they're a less valuable type of woman or they're a less valuable type of person um so for example like drag queens that dress as like when willem plays his totally ditzy blonde ha 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 i'm a mattress character da 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 
the more that you watch with Willem, the more that you realize he's not saying that because he thinks that all women are mattress sluts. He's doing it because when he was growing up, the women that gave him the most protection and power and empowerment and encouraged him to be his self and made sure that he was okay were those strong women who actually had a lot of valuable characteristics despite being quote-unquote ditzy and quote-unquote slutty. Um, and they were put down by society, but they were actually still totally valuable members of of his neighborhood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I find, and I find that's the case with a lot of drag. I also think that um, the idea that femininity is inherent solely and only to women and AFAB people is no longer one that gets a lot of traction, particularly like the queerer the community you're getting into. Um, men can be feminine. Non-binary people can be feminine. Um, any, I know trans men who were feminine when they were young and female presenting and now they're male presenting in their daily life, but when they do drag, they're feminine again. Anyone can be feminine. Anyone can take value from femininity, present themselves in a feminine way. And that doesn't mean they're not how they identify. Um, and it goes the same with masculinity. It's just that my experience has always rooted, been rooted in femininity. So, um, so I talk about that a lot, but the same applies to masculinity. Women can be masculine. Like, it goes both ways. So I find that to say, oh, well, drag and the act of drag is like appropriating only female experience and um, it's woman face. They're, they're appropriating my characteristics kind of ascribes to the problematic notion that only women can be female. Only women can have long hair. Only women can look glamorous. Only women can wear nice dresses. Only women can put on nails. And that's not something that's generally accepted pretty worldwide but particularly like in queer and, and you know the gay bar downtown um so I, that's the second part of it for me the third part is that even if you want to look at it um in a more binary way I think that there's a certain power in watching a person who even as a gay man a cisgendered man has a, a certain level of privilege um, sure, they might face oppression based on their sexuality, but they're still often regarded as having all of these really highly valued, privileged male characteristics by virtue of the fact that they are a man. Um, so for a, a man who is told, hey, a lot of your, to this day, still told like a lot of your characteristics are preferable because women are weak and women are this and women are that and you're a strong man, uh, maybe not as strong as a straight man down the street, maybe you should work on that, but you're still a man. Um, I think that for a person like that to shed those more valued characteristics and when they want to feel empowered, take the characteristics of femininity that they see in the people they admire around them and put those on instead to become a more confident uh character or person or version of themselves I think that puts a lot of power in femininity and the feminine experience and the women who have taught them about those feminine characteristics and I think it really like puts a lot of wind in our sails and lifts us up a little bit because they're choosing to shed the things that they're told are are preferable about them just by virtue of the fact that they were like assigned male at birth and born with penis um and instead they're kind of taking a step over into our camp and saying actually, I see a lot of value in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this on and try this on to make myself feel better because it really is severely in the minority that you now meet a drag queen who's literally just dressing as a woman and spending, I mean, by the time you're done your weekly gigs, half your life, quote unquote, as a woman, just to make fun of and put down women. Like it just, it, 
it happens, but it's not the majority and it's not what like the international drag scene is currently about. And I think that the people who think that it is and who insist that like that's what drag is and it's just woman face and it's a, an appropriation of experience. Um, I don't think they've done the research into contemporary drag and I don't think they necessarily know a whole lot about it. Um, and I think that they'd really benefit from and probably get a lot of uh, positivity and empowerment of looking into contemporary drag as it is now where it's not, it's not even necessarily linked to gender. You might only be putting on certain notable female, female characteristics because that's just how you want to look that day. Or that's a piece of someone, a, a strong female figure that you admired in your life, or you've decided that you really just think that color hair looks pretty on you. <laughs> like, I think, I think it's just gone so much beyond that. I also think like personally, it's a huge part of it for me. And when I talk about these things and I always kind of contextualize that, like I am cisgendered female and I've never really wavered in that gender gender identity. However, based on all of the experiences and knowledge I've just talked about, like I think my sense of gender and like quote unquote femininity and what a female person is and what they can look like and, and who they can be and what they can do. Like, I think that's much wider than the average individual, particularly perhaps an average individual who is not that versed in say queer language or feminist theories or whatever else. So I think also um, my point of self-reflexivity is that I also go, I'm definitely looking at this from a standpoint of, you can't really appropriate, you can't really call it just just simple hardline appropriation of female experience or woman face. If the things that you're talking about, certain aspects of femininity are not solely linked to just like the average woman. Like there are definitely like trans women who still experience misogyny in a way that an AFAB woman probably has her whole life. There are definitely, you know, gender fluid, but AMAB people who have similarly been knocked down or told that their bodies are not right or had the media devalue, you know, the way they look or their weight or their characteristics or whatever in a way that is very like typical of misogyny. And all of that is based in the fact that all three of those people that I've just described, despite not quote unquote being what stereotypical society would define as a woman still experience misogyny and still experience certain things based on femininity. And that's not to say that like your average cisgendered woman doesn't have a particular point of like very specific oppression that like absolutely deserves attention. And that like feminist was definitely like built on the backs of and, and all of that stuff. But I think that when it comes to concepts of gender bending within arts like drag that are really operating from like a post-gendered structure to try and apply that really binary idea that like, you know, you're appropriating only my experience when the fact of the matter is it's not necessarily anymore only your experience is like a really limiting and kind of outdated view of the art. Um, and I just really want to take those people to like a quality drag show and be like, do you still think this amazing queer person who, do you think Sasha Valor is doing woman face? Like, it's not about that. So, okay. With the popularization of RuPaul's Drag Race, do you think just the popular, just the regular everyday feminist not the one that's versed in feminist theory doesn't have that background education is changing their Mm -hmm. mind about about what feminism is about what being femme or being a woman no matter what it do you think that's changing because of RuPaul's Drag Race and the prevalence of 
of queers in the media? I do. Um, I think that it would it would change it even more if these stereotypical average like AFAB feminist saw herself a little more explicitly in it, i.e. hire AFAB and hyper queens and put them on the show. But we're not there yet. So <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> I think that would like really hit it home because I think they'd realize they're literally fighting against their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but for where we're at now, I still think that it does because I think that at this point, you know, for all my, I, again, I love Drag Race more than almost anything, but that doesn't mean I don't have my critiques. However, putting my critiques for casting aside, um, I think that they are still seeing people who identify as gender fluid. They're seeing people who have either come out as right after or come on the show as trans women they're seeing very effeminate men but who still hard fast identify as men but still have all these experiences based on the fact that there are feminine characteristics inherent to them as a person that they were abused for in similar ways to what a lot of women experienced growing up um so i think that on top of the fact that then they the show still has quite a reverence with the exception of maybe the occasional off-color joke, um, for female icons, femininity and glamour, um, the power that certain female characteristics, both, you know, personality characteristics and bodily characteristics really um, possess, I think the show is still a decent gateway into, like, learning more about and exploring drag and the power that it has to do things for femininity, but also then beyond that, gender as a as gender in general you know what I yeah. mean so I think that it is it is a it's almost like a taster menu for like getting into all of the queerness um and it's still a pretty like mainstream digestible taster menu yeah. but like that's what a lot of people need and I think that it's a good starting point to then springboard off of and go and explore um different gender series and more queer language and the history of who does drag and when and why and how and I think the fact that you're getting to see people like you know crazy high pageant queens um versus Sasha Velour who does talk about her gender fluidity and you know versus uh Peppermint who talks about being a trans woman versus like Sharon Needles who's you know at the time that she was on the show just spooky and costumey and pumped to be there <laughs> like I think you're getting a wider view and I think you're also getting a sense of while it does do all this stuff where it puts a lot of value on like femininity and the female experience it also degenders drag quite a lot because there will be you know you'll go for four episodes where no one talks about gender at all and it doesn't matter yeah um so I think it is like a good accessible thing and that's not to say like of course any anything mainstreaming is riddled with problems. Um, I think there are definitely certain ways in which the show has like pandered a little bit to like digestible straight audiences. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I never want to see like queer culture put into like a straight cookie cutter box, but there's also the knowledge that like to get it on TV, you have to work with, with the norm a little bit, or it's not going to be on TV. And then, and then all of the jobs and opportunities um, and the industry boom that Drag Race has factually created wouldn't wouldn't be happening. So, I mean, for all of the critiques, I, th- I still think that, like, Drag Race is the, the greatest thing that's happened to drag in, in years, ever, maybe. So, um, yeah, I, I like how I said I'd like to take, like, that, you know, 
angry woman face writing feminist to a drag show like I'd absolutely love to sit her down and hand her all the seasons of drag race too like just as a okay watch this and then we'll talk yeah um so you travel a lot you've you just okay so like I said in my email I do follow you online you just got amazing (laughs) you just poor you huh poor me (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding I feel bad for the people who follow me because it's just like history drag me ranting about stuff I'm like well that sounds perfect yeah <laughs> me talking about how I love cheese but can't eat it like that's that's my twitter rough <laughs> rough um do you think with you traveling with a lot of the the rue girls recently um and traveling to them do you think that's changed your perspective on drag as well as femi- um your own brand of feminism oh completely it's just it's like taking um like sample groups for an experiment and the bigger the sample group like the more your results are going to vary yeah like we just have a huge sample sizing like which is a which is a triple a privilege and a treat and like I think I'd, I'd be a mess of a human if I couldn't do it anymore like it's it's like I had an idea of what drag was originally and then I discovered drag race and went oh wow there's all these different kinds of things because the, the show does for someone with no drag knowledge like introduce them to a lot of different kinds of queens mm-hmm. And then we went even further than that and started traveling for however many years. And I have met every kind of drag artist of every kind of identity, of every kind of style. And it's like, it's my favorite thing. Like, that's more why I still do drag than, than even my own drag. And like, don't get me wrong, I love and adore my own drag. But if someone said to me tomorrow, like, you have to choose between being a drag artist yourself or documenting drag and in the way that you do through Drag Heaven oh my god fuck my drag I it doesn't matter like there are there, there are so many people already making an impact similar and not to devalue what I do because it's impactful and it's important and I know that but because I know that I also know that there are so many people doing what I do to an equal or similar level that like I would personally rather like I'm so impressed by the diversity and the talent and and what I've experienced and seen out there that like I think it is literally imperative that it be documented and that's kind of why we're still doing what we're doing um people need to see these people it also um kind of like what I talked about with my thesis when I said that like the access to queerness online sort of transgresses like real world boundaries for the Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga fans it doing something like what we do with Drag Coven and there's like there's a couple like other groups that kind of do what we do as well but like um maybe on more like a localized capacity or like they're students so they just like don't get to travel as much of us or, yeah. like we're still the ones doing it on like the wider scale but like I'm pleased to see that other people are kind of popping up and doing it too because that means like the corners that we're not reaching are still getting documented and we don't have to feel like we're like failing miserably but um I think as much drag should be documented as humanly physically spiritually mentally possible because I think it's so important particularly in the ways that it is becoming more and more varied. And I know there's this sense that like, because of drag race, like everyone's got a cookie cutter face and everyone's painting the same Instagram, whatever. I think it just seems like that because we're all on the internet. Like, I think it seems like that because there's so many people doing drag. So like, yes, there's going to be some overlap. I think in reality, drag is like more widespread and diverse and getting more input from more smart minds than ever before. Um, And I think that if we like removed the social media lens from it a little we we'd see that so I think it's important to I, I think it's important to put it all online because then that kid who is facing real world boundaries whether it be 
they're too young, they can't get in the bar, or they live in a place where it's not safe for them to come out as queer, or, you know, uh, they're disabled and their local bar is not accessible where they can see the stage, or the person is a stay-at-home mom and has a baby and can't go out uh, to the club, whether they're straight or queer, doesn't matter. Like, I think it's just um, important to document it and, and, and put it online or put it wherever is accessible for people because then they still get to sort of connect with the art and learn more about different performers and they watch it and then they hop on their Twitter and they discuss it and they make friends with somebody who is also interested in the same Queens as them because like nobody in their little small town in Kentucky like wants to talk about drag queens. Um, But then talking about drag queens leads them to learning more about drag history, which leads them to maybe exploring their own identity or learning more about the history of people like their gay brother or whatever it is. Like, I think it's all sort of like a catch 22, not a catch 22, but like a sick, a sick, cyclical (laughs) system that kind of, yeah, like feeds into itself in a way that like, I really hope to continue seeing. Um, And that's kind of why, I mean, like also, yes, it's fun and I like making friends. So like where I get to travel, but it's also like every time we get to travel somewhere new, it's just like, it's really exciting that I get to like video somebody new. And then it also is like, yes, the fans are being introduced to more artists and more types of drag and more different styles or, but then we also have, you know, promoters contact us, contact us and say, I watched this video. Who's this queen? Maybe I'll book her. Then there's sort of like a cross pollination of drag queens happening. Um, there's also people who are going, Oh, so I already knew drag queens, but then you filmed this drag King or this hyper King or this gender bending person who doesn't identify with King or queen. And now I'm looking at them and I'm learning about that as well. Or, um, you know, drag queen a comes to me and says, Hey, for reasons I don't want you to ask me about, I would really like an HQ file of that one performance you did around this particular date talk, and I talk. know that they're auditioning for RuPaul's Drag Race and but I get to be satisfied with the knowledge that like we help them out a little because rather than having like a potato quality cell phone video in their garage like I have their full performance with their backup dancers and they can put that in their video and whether they get on or not like at least I help them in any way I could as someone who like doesn't work for the show and doesn't even qualify to be on it so it's like there's so many facets to like what we and others like us do um and I think that the like my emphasis on traveling forward is is like huge like I had like I had apartment problems recently and I probably lost like in property and loss of income and like costs and health issues and all that kind of stuff over the two years probably 50k and I still traveled through it because I was like you don't understand this feeds my soul like I like I have to document the drag there are drag queens doing really important shit and no one else is videoing it I have to be their front row or I'll die like it was I'm just really passionate about it because I don't think that um, I don't know when the next time drag trends like this will be. I don't know if it ever will again. I don't, maybe this will last. Maybe it won't. Eventually drag might go skittering back under the rug into the, you know, black market uh, underground of society. Like I think we're in a really cool wave and I think that we'd all be like kind of silly not to take advantage of that right now and kind of hit it on its high. So right now where there's a drag queen on every corner that I can film, I'm going to film as many of them as I possibly can. You'll be like at that corner at that time. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be doing this when I'm 82 and like Alaska's on stage with her rhinestone walker. Yes. Like, like that's the plan. <laughs> I just, just her. Yeah, her exactly. Like I just, you just don't know if like, it, I don't know when it'll all, if it'll all stop, because it's such a weird thing that's never trended this way before, mm-hmm. and that is thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race. So, 
yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. So what's next for drag, Kevin? Y'all going back on the road, I'm assuming. Oh, always. Oh. Um, <laughs> we, Jamie's in Phoenix right now, I think. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm home trying to get some writing done because I actually still do have a day job and three freelance jobs and that's six jobs in total. Jeez. Um, woo. Um, she's been helping, um, Nina West a little bit because that's her drag mom and she's on season 11. I am one of the two tour assistants for Brooklyn Heights right now. Um, cause she's one of my best friends. Um, not your so drag kind of mother. Not, <laughs> as, not my drag mother. As people like to neither of them actually. Oh my God. It was so funny. Well, I do this really bad thing where like kind of stemming from like you know when Trixie yells at people apologize mom oh yeah I started like like kind of mimicking that and like if Brooke's like a little bit older and she gets very like big brother sometimes so I'll be like gee thanks mom or oh sorry mom and I've started doing that really sarcastically and I think people keep kind of picking between that and the fact that like I'm very clearly obsessed with this person like (laughs) I think people just made the assumption that like that's my drag mom and she was like oh god I'm not responsible I was like gross but uh no I just she's just a really good friend of mine um and so we're, we're the, the next year is going to be a lot of Nina Western Brooklyn Heights content um because we actually we we've been working on certain things with them for a number of years that sort of all culminated in in this so um it's kind of like seeing my own hard work but just invested into another person rather than myself which is like just as rewarding um and that's all like kind of paying off right now so we're kind of just like riding that wave and seeing how it goes um but we're also still definitely working our own things like we have we'll be at Toronto Pride we have a whole bunch of Pride gigs um I'm going to Columbus Pride and leading a panel for a corporate event that's all about like gender and drag with a bunch of the queens with Virginia West who's Nina's mom um we're going to drag con nina will or jamie will be at nina's booth i'll be at brooklyn's but we'll also still be doing drag con we're Kevin still doing drag coming yeah like called out by RuPaul. where's the drag coming girls <laughs> oh my god michelle said they're in the bathroom we were not we were at the hurricane bianca premiere whoops um <laughs> that was fun we didn't think he was gonna i i don't know we've seen the keynote speech like several the same time every time which i have full respect for but when we got the chance to go to the other thing i was like well i've seen the keynote speech like no one really cares if we're there or not because we can't film it anyway so let's just go of course that's the one time he decided that we were like the greatest thing ever um oh my god vanji came up to me afterwards and was like girl oh my god where were you it was so awkward and i was like i was watching it on a live stream when did i um but yeah so we're oh my god we're doing all kinds of things we 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 want to go to Europe again, but I don't think it'll happen. We're poor. It happened. Um, we went to Drag World last year, and it was amazing. Um, we'd love to go to Austin Drag Fest, but again, I'm not sure that's going to be feasible. If you do, we'll I hope I hope I get to meet you because I might be performing there. Might I apply? Really? I apply. Oh my god, that's so cool! Oh, amazing. Well, we had been in talks of potentially um, working media for them in various mm-hmm. capacities. Um, but they're still like really early on in the process. Yeah. So like, I haven't talked to them about it in a little while, but, uh, rest assured I'll be checking in on that because that's something I'd love. We've never, we've never gotten to go. So I just have to let my cat out. Hold on. There you go. Um, yeah, that's something we've never gotten to do. It's like the only drag festival we've never been to. So <laughs> we'd love to do that. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of filming, a lot of assisting, a lot of 
carting Brooklyn's t-shirts around um a lot of our own gigs I just got a heavy metal themed gig with a band named after a dinosaur rock so, on like, there's that yeah so a lot of stuff we're literally just kind of doing whatever whatever we can fit in our schedule without like spreading yourself start- too thin yeah mm-hmm. well no we might be doing that a little <laughs> bit but we're still alive it's fine you're like I'm okay it's fine yeah 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 we'll be fine but yeah, right now, right now we're mostly gearing up for like a few things in April. Like Alaska's having a Lady Gaga themed show in New York, so I immediately canceled everything else that I was doing and ran. Um, and then DragCon and then Pride, and then like once we've survived that, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, lots of stuff. Pride, so much stuff. Pride season's always the like worst season. Be like, so what are you doing? everything everything and it's world pride in new york oh goodness oh everything but then at the same time we're also um like as much as i i love nina and brooklyn like more than freaking life itself but at the same time i also want like we have such a reputation for grabbing so many different kinds of um photos and videos of of all different people and all different styles that like I kind I want to make sure we're still doing that in some capacity and like obviously we fully tweeted and we're like hey it's going to be a really Nina and Brooklyn heavy year because it's a really big thing happened to people who we like love and who have taken very good care of us um because they really like Brooke got me through those apartment things I was talking about mm-hmm. and like Nina has put up with us and, and helped us out for just years showing up in Columbus so like she's family and like so, but we still want to try and get, make it to like the smaller gigs in between and see, you know, the girls who we've met through because we started traveling through Drag Race, but the coolest part about it, as much as I've loved, I mean, these were open friends with people that I once only ever watched on TV. And I think that's really special and really impressive. And I'm so like grateful for those friends, but at the same time, it's almost just as, it's just as cool that, um, we've gotten to meet so many of like the local girls from various local scenes across the world um, because we traveled to go see those Queens. So they've almost been like a point of access to us to all different scenes in all different cities where we've made some really, really amazing friends. Um, So like, I never thought I'd be like watching a drag show um, like in Prague in a sweaty Polish basement in Krakow in, you know, like we've gotten to meet local Queens in those capacities through the way that like people throw events for RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to make sure like there's still an element of that too. Like as much as I can sit and talk about Brooklyn all day, like, yeah. So like, I've been trying to do my best, like between zipping her zippers up and making sure she's sorted, then I'll like run out and try and film whoever's on stage and then run back and then I'll film her and then run back and change her as quickly as I possibly can. So I can run back out and go film whoever's on there and, yeah, so it's it's been chaos, but it's, like, very fun, very worth it. Like, we're just trying to, like, kind of use what we're doing. The opportunities we're afforded through, like, through what we do and what we're doing with the bigger name girls. Like, I'm trying to also use that as, like, um, like a way to increase what we do, like, just everywhere else in drag. Like, just keep it really, I don't know, what we've always done, I guess. Balanced. But just hopefully in new cities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, that's all I have. That's all. Those are all the questions. Hopefully, awesome. hopefully, um, y'all make it down to Austin Drag Fest. 
Um, I would love that. We've been to Houston, but we've never been to Austin. I know. I saw that y'all were in Houston. I'm from Houston originally. And I was like. Oh, amazing. And I had been following y'all for like a year by then. I was like, what? <laughs> They're in town. Oh, yeah, that was wild. And I didn't get to meet them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wild. That was because we didn't even go for drag. We went for Gaga. the Super Bowl. But there were they brought us for five days and then they didn't really do anything with us for like three of those days like the Super Bowl day was obviously busy and then the day before that they took us to this like Super Bowl experience camp thing oh, and I was like you carted in a bunch of gays and you just decided to sure let's do so the Danny butch and I thing went drag. <laughs> yeah and I mean it was fun like it was an experience we got memorabilia like I dove into a pool of skittles like whatever it was fine I'm pretty sure I met some famous people I didn't recognize because I don't do sports but um it was fun I walked around and drag creeping people out that's always a blast oh, um and, like, those were Gaga fans that, like, we've known for eight years, but we only ever get to see every two or so. Yeah. So that was neat. But then, like, for the th- previous three days, like, it wasn't like we were part of the show. We didn't have to rehearse or anything. So we were just – I literally think they just brought us in extra early so that, like, we were there. Um, And they didn't have, like, guest of honor. We were, we were called, like, the Pepsi guest of honor or whatever. Like, they didn't have guest of honor. People just, like, stranded in airports in case, like, some kind of crazy weather hit or – so we were just there and – the first night everybody like drank in the hotel and had a big party and we were kind of like I mean it was cute to catch up but like I don't want to party every single night Jamie and I don't drink so the second night everybody was like hungover and complaining that they were bored and we were like we're, we're leaving like we're gonna I posted on Facebook and said like do I know drag queens in Houston awesome fuck it up we're happy to meet you because I'm bored and we went in and we oh my god we made like the, we went to a show that had like 37 drag queens then they took us out for chicken afterwards and then the next day they picked us up and they took us for tacos and we did a photo shoot in, in one of the queen's garages and like our our gaga friends were so like in like curious about how long we'd been gone and where we went wearing wigs and they ended up coming like tracking down the bar we were at and like coming to like experience the whole drag thing because they like weren't as familiar as we were and so then they were all out in the drag bar too and it was it was really cool we got totally taken care of even though like the drag scene took care of us even though like drag was absolutely not why we were there so it was really cool I had a, I had a really good time in Houston actually well I'm glad my yeah. team took care of you I'm just so glad I did <laughs> okay um well thank you for talking to me thank you for even you know answering my email i whenever i like message people and they're like yeah i'll totally or like i've been putting this because as a drag queen myself i've been putting this on my facebook and like hey everyone please talk to me if you're a feminist (laughs) drag performer and yeah people are all like yeah i'll totally do this and then they don't answer so yeah I was just like, I hope she doesn't think I'm weird. I follow her on the internets and I'm just going to email her from my professional, you know, school email so it doesn't look weird. Oh, no, it's totally cool. I actually do um, like academic interviews a lot, like a lot, (laughs) but because I don't know, I think it's so cool. Like when I was, when I was doing my master's, I was one of the only people studying that kind of thing. That's awesome. So now that it, now the frequency with which I get asked to do stuff like this, I think is amazing. And like, I will always say yes, even though like, even if I don't have the time, I'm like, okay, I have 15 minutes on Tuesday. How quick can your questions be? Like, cause it's important. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. I took up an hour of, of your time and I'm, I apologize. I'm sure you got so much writing to do. So I do, but don't worry. It's my fault for talking so much. So you're fine. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Um, Have a great day.
Thank you. You too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Wow, that was a great episode. Hopefully, you enjoyed the beginning of this wonderful series of interviews and self-reflection, because if you don't know, I'm a drag queen. Duh. Obviously, there would be a point of me bringing this up. If you want to see my drag announcement on my blog unfortunately you can't because the website is down right now i'm currently working on the website so stay tuned for updates on all my social media which will be down below and i will let y'all know when new episodes of the podcast are out the website is back up and just general things that are going on with my life for instance on twitter I've been bitching about grad school and also hyperventilating over Game of Thrones. And I have a academic conference next week. Trust me, it's going to be a whirlwind of me hyperventilating over everything for the next week and a half. So make sure you subscribe on everywhere that I am. Uh, you can follow me and make sure you subscribe to the podcast where you listen to your podcast. Whether it's on Anchor or on iTunes, Spotify. And if you feel very great, uh, gracious, I'm not going to say gracious. If you feel the need to throw some money my way to keep this podcast going, uh, whether that's, you know, a dollar here or a dollar there, Make sure you use the Anchor support app or the support feature in Anchor to support your favorite podcasters, which I hope is me. Uh, And I will see you next time. Bye, y'all.